In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today I want to speak a little bit about a disease that all of us have. And even though many of us are scared of other diseases like cancer and, and um, many other heart problems, a lot of diseases which exist today, but worse than them is another disease which is called ego, egotism. Unfortunately, today the world doesn't really speak much about ego. Actually, it's the, uh, the world praises you if you're proud, if you stick up for your rights, if you are sure of yourself, if you're confident, especially at work today, a lot of times that's what you have to present if you want to make it high up in the, in the where, wherever you work. But let's not worry about what the world thinks, but let's look at more what the church says about egotism. Egotism is such a serious problem for Orthodox Christians, or for everyone, but we'll speak about Orthodox Christians, because it is the cause of not only destruction in our everyday lives, but also can be the cause of us losing our souls. In other words, egoism is one of the main things of losing our souls. Now today, another thing in the world is that we don't speak about salvation of the soul. Even in the church at times, it's rare that you even hear the expression, we should be struggling for the salvation of our soul. It's something which is not really talked about because people in general find it uncomfortable. Because if we say that our aim is to be saved, then that means that there's a possibility that we won't be saved. In other words, there's a possibility that we can go to hell. And that is very uncomfortable. So even some clergymen, unfortunately, have actually fallen into the trap of trying to be politically correct, trying to be nice, trying to uh, make it soft so that people don't become offended and therefore they don't come to church anymore. But that is blasphemous because the purpose of the church is one, the salvation of the soul. It's not somewhere where people of the same nationality come to meet and have a little bit of a get-together. It's not just for where Russians come or Greeks come or Serbians or other nationalities. That's not the purpose of the church. Nor is the purpose of the church somewhere where we come for good luck. Some people come to the church, but they also go to mediums and magicians. Depends on where they feel at the time. Sometimes they feel maybe the church can do something for me, for my children or for my marriage or for my business. And other times they might think, oh, why don't I go to um, uh, Vanessa or someone who's going to tell me my future and going to give me some type of good luck charm and, we, and pay thousands of dollars. So, the purpose of the church is not for good luck or to meet someone or to, to meet people of, for social reasons. The purpose of the church, Christ himself says it, is the salvation 
of our souls. Today, because of the many distractions which exist, TV, internet, Facebook, Twitter, all these things that exist today are all uh, distractions. Does that mean that someone shouldn't look at the news? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that all we have to do is be honest with ourselves and look what's happening today. And as I mentioned the talk last week, that um, in America where they did some studies, they actually found that the biggest addiction, greater than alcohol, greater than gambling, is Twitter and Facebook. In other words, audio, visual, these computers, etc., have actually caused a great dis distraction. So what, is, what happens then? When we are distracted, we don't have time for our family. All you have to do is speak to a priest and he'll be able to tell you that one of the main problems today is that people are neglecting their children, their duties, their family, have become completely absorbed in these, in these um, social network and things like that, such that their families are suffering. It's a well-known fact that they've become a cause of divorces all over the world. And apart from that, they also are obstructing people to pray. Many times when people come to me and say, I can't pray, I can't pray, they say that after they've been on the computer for hours, they cannot focus with their mind on prayer, on God, on their sins, etc. So... How does that connect to egoism? It connects because a lot of times when the priest or someone close to us tells us that that's a problem, we become agitated, we become angry, we don't want anyone. So children, when they're told by their parents, they react, teenagers react, or one of the spouses who has become a problem, has a problem with that, they react. And because of our ego, we are putting ourselves in a very, very difficult position because, not, because nothing is more repulsive to God than ego, pride. And that's why Christ gave the parable of the publican and the Pharisee the publican was someone who was uh, considered at that time an evil person. He would take taxes from people or he would take more than he had to take. While the Pharisee was considered someone who was a religious person, a person who followed God's law. Don't look at the gospel as something of the past because that's not right. The gospel is living and is 
full of truth and gives us all that we need to be saved, the, the teachings that God has given us. In that, in that parable, it applies to today the same thing, the same thing today, where we have Orthodox Christians who externally are doing the right thing, one can say. They come for confession, they commune, they do some prayers, they fast, etc. And yet, that's like the, like the Pharisee who did everything. And even himself, he said, he, was, he prayed with his head up in the air, with full of pride, and he says, I fast, I give one-tenth to the poor, etc. So he was boasting about that. And the, pub, and the publican, the tax collector, came to himself... He realised that he's evil. He came with his head lowered, beating his breast and saying, God, forgive me, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Christ says that in God's eyes, the one with repentance, even though he did bad, but he repented, was justified, was accepted by God, while the other one, who did everything beautifully and perfect, but was full of ego, was full of pride, was rejected by God. If we study the Gospel, which many of us don't do, unfortunately, the Gospel should be the main book that we read, not magazines, not on the internet, the Gospels. If we do not read the Gospel, that means we are disdaining God. It's like we're saying, yes, you're giving me your word, you're giving me your law, but I'm not that interested. I'm more interested in worldly things, other things. And we will give word if we do that. We must make an effort to read the Gospel. Right through the Gospel, if you read Christ's teachings, He was loving. He was loving and forgiving to many sinners, like, like, like all of us. But, when did we see him change? When did we see him change his attitude? When did we see him become more strict with the Pharisees and the scribes? In other words, not even with the pagans did he act like that. As you remember, when he spoke to Herod, he didn't say a word. When he spoke to when Pilate, he said a little few words. But when he referred to the Pharisees and the scribes, to the religious of those times, to the strict religious of that time, to the pious one can say of that time, there he called them um, hypocrites, and he gave them warnings of hell, etc., etc. For them. Not for the pagans. Why not for the pagans? The pagans didn't even believe in God, in the true God. They were polytheistic. They believed in many gods. While the Jews believed in the true God. So why did he do that? Because they were ignorant of the truth. As today, there are many who are ignorant of the true God. And God would judge them differently. But, Orthodox Christians who should know more because we have the truth. We have the 
Gospels, we have the Holy Fathers, we have the lives of saints, we have the services, we have the priests that give us of the grace of God. If after being given all that, we still keep in our hearts the worst passion, which is ego, in other words, pride, then in the same way that God reprimanded, censured those of old, those Pharisees and, and the scribes, the same that he will do to us on the day of judgment. I will give you an example of where egoism can be a destruction even with married couples. Today, divorce on divorce on divorce, and when you examine it, there's one common thread, ego. I'm right, no, I'm right, no forgiveness, they never ask, hardly ask forgiveness of each other. Don't we hear the church teach, never go to bed without asking forgiveness of those who were offended? And just today we heard in the last gospel or in the last prayer that even if someone sins 70, 70 times 7, in other words, so many times, we are obliged to forgive them. Why? Because God, who gave that commandment, understood human weakness. He knew that we are weak, that we are full of passions, and he gave us this one can say this great gift that as many times as we sin, as long as we repent and we're trying not to sin, but obviously we try, we fall, we try, we fall, then those around us are obliged to forgive us and God himself will forgive us. So, marriages today... Ego, to the point that the children who are experiencing that are being affected spiritually, emotionally, mentally. They never see their parents ask forgiveness. When they grow up, they become the same. It is, it is a well-known fact that those who find it hard to admit their faults are those that have come out of families in which they never saw their parents admit their faults and ask forgiveness. There are people that have actually said that they, they used to see their parents fighting, but not once, once in their whole life did they ever hear one, forgive me. The next day they either wouldn't talk or they would pretend that nothing happened. Those children, when they grow up, do the same. And there's one disease there of, the, of egotism. We see it there and which causes a lot of times divorce. The children need to look at examples of Christian virtue. Do not think that those of you who are married are going to show a perfect example to the children. That's not, going to, that's not going to happen because Christ already said 
that we are weak and that we will fall continually. What the children have to experience is to see the struggle, to see their parents struggling with a passion. For example, if it's anger, where the person becomes angry, then they have to experience the person being pained that they started to shout and scream, they got angry, irritated. They have to then see that so that they can learn what it means when we say Christian struggle. What does it mean by asceticism? Because some of you believe that asceticism means those monks or nuns that lived in caves, that fasted and drank uh, a little bit of water and maybe a little piece of bread every three days. That's what we believe is, is, uh, is what's meant by an ascetic. But that's not correct. Because the Holy Fathers say that all of us are called to be ascetics. Now, some of you might say, are you saying that we're going to go and live in caves? No. What I'm saying is that we've missed what is meant by asceticism. Asceticism means those who struggle, or ascetic is, is a person who struggles to keep the commandments of Christ. Christ says, do not be angry. So therefore, we have to struggle not to be angry. If we fall, then we have to repent. Ask forgiveness of those who we offended. The children will see that and will learn Christian struggle. But today, the children aren't noticing that. They don't even notice their parents because they're too busy on the computers or in front of the television. So therefore, they are gaining examples, they are absorbing examples which aren't Christian, and then we have people that come and say that are on, oh, my child, my child, I took him to church, and they had communion, and they used to be in the altar, and they used to sing in the choir, and yet, why are they like devils? And the simple answer is, because that's not enough. That's not what makes a child holy. Communion, holy communion, without spiritual struggle, without a struggle to keep God's commandments, does not actually help us, it burns us. Once a priest actually said, those who are unworthy, those who communion unworthy, Nothing happens to them, but if you commune worthily, then it helps you. That's not correct, because St. Paul says it, that there are many who are dying or are sick because they are partaking of Holy Communion unworthily. And what does unworthily mean? To be perfect? No. I already said that, it's, that we have to struggle, and we may never even reach perfection in this life, but trust in God's mercy. But... What it means to be worthy is to feel that we are unworthy, that we are repenting and that we are struggling to keep the commandments of God. That's what it means to be a Christian, an Orthodox Christian. Not a Pharisee. Someone who struggles not to sin with the eyes, not to sin with our thoughts, not to sin by being jealous, not to sin by hating people, not to sin by being hard of heart and not forgiving, 
not to sin by noticing others that are in need and we have money and we don't help other people. Those are sins and God's given us commandments of what to do. So when we struggle to do those commandments, then we are ascetics. And that's why, as a help, we pray, we fast, we commune and confess, partake of holy unction, etc. All those help us as long as we're struggling. And that's what's forgotten today. We believe that holy communion is like a good luck charm. Perhaps some of you might even believe tonight that holy unction is a good luck charm. But it's not. Holy unction is for sick people. And who are the sick people today? Here, myself, the other priest that served, and yourselves. All of us are spiritually sick. All of us are full of passions. All of us are full of ego. But we have to struggle against it. I've met many who came face to face with their ego, as we all do. What does that mean? It means they saw right in front of them their ego where they came to a situation where they have to admit that they're wrong for something. And they preferred not to admit that they were wrong. They preferred to go along with their ego like Adam and Eve and justify themselves like Adam said it was Eve's fault and Eve said it was the serpent's fault. And by doing that, by not asking forgiveness and admitting our mistakes, we are becoming similar to the devil himself who refuses to repent. The devil refuses to repent. He knows he's wrong. He knows he sinned. And he knows that even after all the evil that he's done in the world to today, if, the, if he and his, and his other demons repent and ask God forgiveness right at this moment, God is so forgiving that he will forgive them. But they don't want to. Now, the question remains, don't they know they're going to go to hell in the last day when the judgment takes place? They know. So therefore, the question then comes, then why do they, just to say sorry, just to say a simple sorry, a simple forgive me, Lord, for sinning against you, they are willing to go to hell. And they know that hell exists, that hell has been created for them. And the answer is, let's move away from the demons and let's look at ourselves and notice that why do we, when we know that we're wrong, why do we choose not to admit our mistakes? Why do we choose not to ask forgiveness of those who were offended, knowing that by doing that, we take on the characteristics of the demons. St. John of Cronstein says, look at a person who's angry, look at a person who's full of ego, 
and he says the person looks ugly. The person, obviously, at that time, is under the, under the control of an evil spirit. So, all of us, when we don't want to say sorry, when we don't want to ask forgiveness, we have to know at that time that we have allowed the demonic spirits to enter our hearts. So, the question arises, what do we do? How do we get rid of this? Well, one, to understand that ego will accompany us right to the end. We will always be fighting that passion. Some saints, of course, became passionless. But in general, even the saints themselves had to fight right to the end. If you remember, I think it was Saint Anthony, when he died and as he was going through the toll houses, the demons came to him and said, you have won paradise. But Saint Anthony, if I remember right, ignored them. And then again and again and again until he got into heaven. And then he said, now I've beat you. In other words, Saint Anthony the Great, one of the greatest holy fathers of the Orthodox Church, was being tempted by the demons with pride even after he died. And he had to be careful, even though he was no longer in his body, but he was now a soul, but he had to be careful not to believe the demons who were praising him that he was great. So if that's the case for many of the saints, then that's going to be the case for all of us. So what do we do? One, I just said, we have to understand that that's going to happen all the time, that we're going to have this demonic, uh, this passion that we're going to fight with continually. But the other one is that we pray to God every day in our prayers and ask Him and ask, and ask the Mother of God and ask our guardian angel and ask all the saints and all the angels to pray for us, to help us in our struggle with the ego, all of us. Because St. Macarius of Optina, he says, when someone is praying, but they're not working on their pride, if they're not working on the other virtues, but they're just praying like many do today, then he said those people fall into prelest, means deception, that can lose their souls. We have many ascetics who are in the desert who prayed and prayed and prayed, but they became heretics. And many of them lost their souls. Why? Because they cultivated some aspects of the orthodox life, which is prayer, a bit of fasting, some prostrations. But they ignored the commandments of Christ. And if you read the Holy Fathers, you actually read that they actually say that many of those ascetical people in the desert didn't even know what the commandments of Christ are. They didn't even know. They didn't even think about it. And what is the greatest commandment? Love of God and love of neighbour. So today, many of us lead spiritual lives in inverted commas, 
but we do not cultivate true love of God and love of neighbour. In other words, we've got no problem to put someone down, to speak about someone, to upset someone, and not to ask forgiveness. All of us do that. And yet, again, St. Anthony says that through our neighbour is salvation. Through our neighbour is salvation. Our salvation will be dependent on our relationship with those around us, family members, fellow Christians, and even pagans, and even unbelievers, or even those of other faiths. How we deal with everyone else around us is how we will be determined whether we're, whether we're saved. Remember what Christ said? I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. Meaning someone came up to us, they were thirsty. I was hungry, you didn't give me food. I was in need of clothing, I was naked, I was in jail, I was in hospital, etc., etc. What does all this show us? These are all to do with our neighbour. So what's the point in coming to church and fasting and praying and having Holy Communion or partaking of holy unction, or doing some prostrations in front of icons, or doing our cross in an orthodox manner, what's the point of all that if we've got no love for those around us, if our ego has possessed us? There's no point. So all of us today can learn, myself, everyone here today can learn something which for some of you could be new. And that is, let us all fight that ego that is in us. Let us, when we, when we see that we are not wanting to admit our faults, when we don't like to be told our faults, when we see that we can't ask forgiveness, when we see that when we are contradicted, when we see that we always want to have the last word, when we see we want to argue, when we see we always have self-trust and self-confidence and all these things, self-esteem, when we see all that, that's when we should be scared. Not to be scared because the bank rates might go up and we might lose our houses. That should be a secondary thing, less important, still important, of course. And not to be scared that we're not going to win the lotto, or not to be scared that our children aren't going to get into university, or not to be scared that we might lose our job just to, on, on those things, meaning not to be scared just in those things. Not to be scared, like many women, that their, their faces are becoming all wrinkled and old and grey hair, etc. These other stupidities. What should, we, what should we be scared of? The most important thing to be scared of is are we fighting our pride because as pride was the reason that the devil and his angels fell and pride was the reason that Adam and Eve fell, let us all be scared of that and understand that God is forgiving and he understands that we're inclined to pride. He understands that we've got ego. All he wants for us is some effort and when we fall, to ask forgiveness I mean...